I invite you to open your Bibles uh, with me this morning to Second Thessalonians chapter two as we continue our uh, studies in uh, this uh, incredible book dealing with a lot of eschatology, a lot of future events, as I understand the book. So we'll be looking at uh, chapter two, and we'll be focusing on the theme of the uh, coming and present apostasy. So it's kind of a sobering theme to uh, to end our our 2023 year of exposition on, but it's uh, the Word of God, and it's given for our profit and our blessing and our benefit. So I'll begin reading in chapter 2, verse 1. Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come until the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. And we'll go ahead and just stop the reading of God's Word there. So as we begin to look at this passage, notice the first thing that the Apostle Paul says to the church is, I don't want you to be disturbed. So he says again in verse 1, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second coming, our gathering together to Him, which will occur at that time, as I understand it, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or to be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The day of the Lord is what He has described in verse 1. The coming of the Lord, our gathering together to be with Him, that's the day of the Lord. But they were being quickly shaken and disturbed because some people within the church were telling them that the day of the Lord has already come. And they were claiming apostolic prophetic authority for their message. They either claiming that a spirit gave it to them or a message or a letter as if from Paul to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Now that misunderstanding may very well have been tied to the idea that these teachers were saying that because they were going through tribulation and affliction and suffering, that the day of the Lord has come. But it has not come because it's tied to the second coming of Christ. It doesn't include tribulation and affliction. That's going to happen before the day of the Lord comes. And so that's what he's emphasizing in verse 3. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless two things happen. Number one, the apostasy, which will come first before the day of the Lord. And the second thing, the revelation of the man of lawlessness, which will also take place before the day of the Lord comes. So he's clarifying and correcting some of this false teaching that was going on within the church. And if you just drop down in your Bible to verse 5, Paul says, Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? 
So he's already reminding them that the day of the Lord will take place after the apostasy and the revelation of the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist. We'll look at that guy, Lord willing, uh, next week. But he's trying to warn them and give them these signs so that they know what to look for. In other words, the second coming of Christ will not happen until after the apostasy and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Then the day of the Lord. Then the second coming will occur after those two events occur first. So let's look at the first one. And that's primarily the apostasy. Well, the the word apostasy, let's just kind of examine uh, what that means. In this context, the word apostasy is used of falling away from the true faith. That is, falling away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before Christ comes, before we are gathered up to meet Him in the air, there will first be an apostasy that will take place. People will fall away from the true faith. They will denounce the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they will basically become an apostate. The fact that the gospel and allegiance to Christ is certainly in view here is emphasized all the way down, for example, uh, in verse 10, that unbelievers did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So the saving truth that they're falling away from is going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me say at the outset that obviously a true believer cannot fall away. So these are people within the church who have a formal intellectual faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not really born again or regenerated because true believers cannot fall away. So these are false believers within the church. They're the ones who are going to be guilty of this uh, apostasy that will take place. Uh, This is emphasized in many places in Scripture that if you're truly saved, you cannot lose it, you cannot fall away. In John 6, verse 39, uh, Jesus said, This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And later in chapter 10 of John, Jesus said, I give eternal life to them, referring to His sheep. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So we're very secure in Christ. You cannot lose your salvation. You cannot be an apostate. Paul says in Philippians 1 that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Christ Jesus. The Lord will never allow that work to be frustrated and ultimately to fail. And John in 1 John 3 says, No one who is born of God practices sin. Meaning, that no one born of God can live in perpetual, unrepentant sin. You can't do it. Why? Because His seed abides in us, and He cannot sin because He is born of God. So a true believer that's born of God cannot practice sin like an unbeliever cannot live an unrepentant, perpetual sin because he's born of God. The Spirit of God lives in him and will grant him repentance when we do sin and we do sin. 
So there are many other verses that teach that a true believer cannot uh, fall away from the faith. He will not become an apostate like these people do that Paul is talking about. A.A. Bonar, I think, summed up this well when he said, It is the creed of every sound evangelical church that those who do go back to perdition were persons who never really believed in Jesus. Again, they had a superficial, intellectual faith in Jesus. Their heart was never changed. Their life was never changed. And they're the ones who, though they're in the church for a period of time, will eventually fall away and abandon Christ. So the Apostle Paul, in teaching this, is really revealing again his dependent on the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 24. So you remember as we went through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and even in verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find many parallels between the language of Paul and the language of Jesus in Matthew 24. And I, that's what leads me to interpret Matthew 24 as some of it relating to 70 A.D., the destruction of the temple. That section certainly relates to 70 A.D., but some of it relates to the second coming of Christ. And I think we can see this in the way that Paul is basically has in mind the teachings of Jesus. For example, in Matthew 24, when Jesus taught this, in the Olivet Discourse, he said in verse 5, For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. See, that's a talking about this apostasy. Many will be misled. They will turn away from Christ. In verse 9, Jesus said, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So who's he talking? Who's Jesus talking to? His disciples. In other words, he's talking about those who comprise the foundation of the church. So he's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. Remember, he's on the Mount of Olives and he, his disciples are with him and they've praised the building of the temple. He prophesies it's going to be st- torn down, which it was in 70 A.D., but he also is teaching his disciples that they will face a coming time of intense persecution and some among their midst will fall away. So that's why he's emphasizing they will deliver you, the disciples of Christ, the foundation of the church. So he's talking basically to members of his body, members of the church. And they will hate you and kill you because of my name. These are Christians. These are followers and lovers of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say in verse 10, and at that time, many will fall away. That's what Paul is prophesying in 2 Thessalonians 2. At that time, many will fall away, will betray one another, and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Again, Jesus is prophesying that many will be misled. Many will fall away. In verse 12, he says, Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. 
But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Perseverance is a key mark of one being elect of God. In verse 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders. And we'll see that later on in 2 Thessalonians 2, for the man of lawlessness will also show great signs and wonders. So as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Well, it's not possible to mislead the elect, but all of those associated with them that really don't know the Lord, they're the ones who will be misled. So Paul is basically again borrowing from the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 of the coming apostasy of the church that will come prior to the second coming. That many who profess faith in Christ during that tribulation period will end up falling away because they genuinely really do not know the Lord. Now this apostasy that Jesus talks about, that Paul also talks about, also had a beginning in the first century. The church has always wrestled with this issue of apostasy, of those within the church who really don't belong to Christ. They're just Christians in name only. And these are the ones who throughout the church age are the ones who inevitably end up leaving the faith and falling away. The Apostle Paul emphasized this even when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now when Paul says in the latter times, the latter times really started in the first century. And it continues all the way up to the time of the second coming. We are in the latter times ever since the death and resurrection of Christ. But notice what he's emphasizing, that some will fall away from the faith. And that's not only throughout this whole age, but it will even intensify right before Christ comes back. So this falling away is something that unfortunately is a trait of the life of the church throughout the centuries. Paul went on and told Timothy in his second letter, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. And then skip down to verse 5, he describes this, that there are those who are holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. So when the church gets to that time, at the end of this time, there will be those who are only holding to a form of godliness. And they will deny the Lord. They'll turn away from the Lord. And Paul says, avoid them. Stay clear of them. So that the apostasy that Paul is talking about, which will intensify right before Jesus Christ comes back, has been a sad reality in the church ever since the first century. So this is where the Matthew 24 characterizes this whole age in addition to an intensification of it right before the Lord returns. This is uh, something we see throughout really in the New Testament. In the church of Galatia, there was this apostasy going on. So Paul had to write to the church of Galatia in chapter 1, I'm amazed 
that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. I'm amazed. Even within the church of Galatia, there were some within the church that were quickly embracing a different gospel other than the one that Paul preached. And Paul says, I'm just amazed that you're so quickly deserting Christ for a different gospel. In chapter 3, he wrote to them saying, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? A demonic influence that you're leaving Christ. And in Galatians 5, to those Judaizers who are now saying you got to be saved, you're saved by faith in Christ plus circumcision, he's saying you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. So even though it's an end time reality that will be intensified, it has always plagued the church. Apostasy. Not only in the church of Galatia, but in the church at Corinth. In Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says, I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. In other words, you're embracing this. The church of Corinth was seeing an element of apostasy going on within that church as well. See, it's always been a problem in the church. There's always been false teachers, false prophets. There's always been some who fall away from the faith. And that will only intensify right before the Lord returns. Peter observed the very same thing in his second letter. He speaks of those within the church who after having escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome. And the last state has become worse for them than the first. In other words, they came to a certain knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They never truly came to faith. They never truly were born again, but they came to a certain knowledge of Christ. But then later they got entangled in their sins. They, be, they were overcome by their sins and they fell away. And the last state was worse than their first. So Peter is wrestling with the very same issue. This is something that throughout the first century they wrestled with this whole issue of apostasy. The author of Hebrews really kind of dedicates the whole book to these believing Jews who are now thinking about leaving Christ and going back under the law, back under the Levitical sacrificial system, back under the priesthood of Israel and, and abandoning and leaving Christ. So the whole book is basically uh, written to exhort them don't leave Christ. Christ is superior to anything the Old Covenant had to offer. He's superior to angels. He's superior to animal sacrifices. He's, he's superior to the Levitical priesthood. Don't go backwards. Stay with Christ. 
And so he writes in chapter 3, verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. See, there's apostasy even among that group as well. Chapter 6 is a very notable warning to them when he wrote, For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, been made partakers of the Holy Spirit, not indwellers, but partakers, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. So obviously, he is saying that there are people within the church, even among the Jewish population, among the the Jewish believers, and they came into the church, and yeah, they showed an initial excitement. Think of the Jesus' parable of the four soils. And they received the word with joy, but it's only superficial. They've tasted the heavenly gift. They become partakers of the Holy Spirit to some external degree. But then they fall away. They fall away. They're in the church, but they leave Christ. And eventually they leave the church as well. You know, Judas is really the poster child for this sad situation. Everything that's spoken there in Hebrews chapter 6, you could just write Judas over the whole thing. And there are many others within the church that were like Judas. Yeah, Judas was a partaker of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons. He did healings. But he was never born again. He was never saved. And this is a sad condition that was going on in the first century church. That's why John had to write those sad words in his first epistle that they went out from us for they were really not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so it would be shown that they all are not of us. Apostasy within the church. We've always struggled with that. And right before the Lord comes back, there's going to be an intensification of it sadly as well. That's why John would later on write this to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. Now remember, he wrote this glorious letter, Ephesians, to this church. I mean, an incredible book. They had that truth. And yet later on, John had to write, but I have this against you that you have left your first love. You used to love Christ. You used to to serve Him. You used to pray. You used to read the Word of God. But you've left that first love. And this is a rebuke to that church in the first century. In chapter 3, he then talks to the church of Sardis. And he says, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're dead. I mean, the whole church had become an apostate church. And that's in the first century. So sadly, this was something that Paul even warned the church at Ephesus. Remember in Acts chapter 20, when he met with them on his way to Jerusalem at Miletus, and all the elders of the church of Ephesus came down to meet with him and begins to warn them the battles they're going to face. 
He said, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And apparently, sadly, that happened. Because they had left their first love. So this was something that uh, plagued the church. The Apostle Paul tasted the bitterness of this in his own life. Because you remember in 2 Timothy, he wrote these sad words. He says, You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. And at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. See, the Apostle Paul knew what it was like to have trusted fellow workers, even in the case of Demas, who desert him because the spirit of apostasy is always plaguing the church, though there will be an intensification at the end. Some of the wisdom can be summarized in some of these comments. William Grinnell wrote, None will have such a sad parting from Christ as those who went halfway with Him and then left Him. That's an apostate. They go halfway with Christ and then they leave Him. William Jenkins said, To forsake Christ for the world is to leave a treasure for a trifle. To leave eternity for a moment. Reality for a shadow. To leave all things for nothing. If you leave Christ, you inherit the wind and nothing. And Thomas Watson said, He falls deepest into hell who falls backwards. And that's what an apostate does, sadly. So what Paul is emphasizing in 2 Thessalonians 2 is something that is going to characterize this whole age of the church. The whole time of the latter days. The last days uh, that we're in. And that is that there will be a general movement of apostasy that will plague the church from day one. And right before the second coming, and we are gathered up to Him in glory, that apostasy no doubt will intensify partly because of the ministry and the influence of the Antichrist who he references later on in verse 3. But let me kind of begin to wrap up some of this by way of application. So Paul says that before the day of the Lord comes, two things must occur first. The apostasy, and Paul really doesn't elaborate on that because remember in verse 5, he told them, look, I've already taught you this already when I was with you, so we wish we had all that information. But he says the apostasy would occur first and also the revelation of the man of lawlessness will occur before the day of the Lord comes. So in light of this, there has always been this, um, this challenge, this temptation to fall away from the Lord. 
And unfortunately, it's, it proves the fact that what Jesus taught in the Gospels that growing among the wheat, there will always be the tares. The tares and the wheat grow together. Eventually, it's the tares who leave the church. There will always be the wolves among the sheep. In every generation, they will have to battle against the temptation to apostatize and also to give ear to false teachers. And it's going on today within the church. And this is a warning to us, not only for today, but for whatever last generation is facing an intensification of apostasy in the future, we need to be sensitive to it going on today in our own age, our own time, whether we're in the last of the last times or, or not. But it's going on today. We see it in the church all around us. I recently read that uh, there's a very large church outside of Atlanta, Georgia that has 38,000 people in attendance in eight locations throughout the North Metro Atlantic area. And a couple of months ago in September, this church hosted a controversial unconditional conference. And this was a conference that was designed for uh, families, specifically for parents who have children wrestling with the LGBTQ plus uh, issue. Now that would be a very beneficial conference to have if they brought biblical wisdom and truth into that situation so parents could help their children struggling in those areas. But that's not what this church did. Nearly all of the speakers were gay-affirming and pro-homosexual, some radically so. Two of the speakers were homosexual men who were married to their husbands. And this is a conference basically put on by Embracing the Journey, a radical gay-affirming ministry that partnered with this church to give so-called wisdom to the parents to help their children struggling in these matters. That's apostasy. They're not bringing in biblical values. They're not actually trying to bring truth and and help those children. But they're giving parents the, the wisdom of the world in trying to minister to their children. So these are sad days. So by way of application, there is a temptation to apostasy with us today within the church today. And in one season, once we get to close to whenever the Lord is coming back, whenever that is, I have no idea, but this is going to intensify. But we as a church today need to be on guard against apostasy because it's always plagued the church. And you and I are tempted with that. So how do we do it? How do we stand firm against the temptation of apostasy? Well, first off, let me just say, we, we trust in God's promises that true believers cannot become an apostate. Because the Spirit of God dwells in us. Christ is praying for us that our faith would not fail. So, we are guaranteed to persevere. But that should not allow us to become negligent or slothful in our Christian lives. We need to pursue after the means of grace always. Every believer needs to do that. 
to help prepare us to stand and not fall away from the Lord like so many are doing and will continue to do. So point number one is we need to persevere in the means of grace. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So our perseverance doesn't save us, but our perseverance is the evidence that we are born again, that we are saved. So how do we persevere in the means of grace? Well, the means of grace obviously just means that we need to stay in the Word of God. If you're not reading the Bible, you need to pick it up and you need to develop a disciplined habit of regularly reading the Word of God. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to, to build our faith, to give us the grace that we need to live a life that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be in the Word of God. David in Psalm 119, I love this verse, he prays to God and he says, Establish my footsteps in your Word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. And those two things are tied together. How do we not let any sin have dominion over us? Well, we walk in the light of God's Word. We need the Word of God. So to fight off any temptation of apostasy, we need to stay in the Word of God. We need to love the truth. We need to stay in prayer. We need to stay in fellowship with other believers. We need to to regularly attend public worship. We need to seek to stir up more love for Christ. How do we do that? Well, I think that that sinful woman, probably a prostitute in Luke chapter 7, has always encouraged me into how we can grow our love for Christ. Remember, she was the one that came in. Jesus was in the Pharisee's Simon's home and he was reclining. And here's a woman who had encountered Jesus previously and had been forgiven of all of her sins. And she came up, Jesus was reclining, and she built, knelt down, and she was weeping. And with her tears, she just she washed his feet, taking her hair and her tears and wiping the feet of our Lord kissing His feet, taking that expensive alabaster vial of perfume, anointing His feet. And Jesus made an example out of her to Simon. And He said, Simon, Simon, I've come into your house. You didn't wash my feet. You haven't kissed me. And yet look at the love of this woman. She has not stopped doing that to my feet. And then He drew out the principle that he who is forgiven much loves much. And those who are forgiven little love little. The truth that we need to learn from this is one of the ways to grow our love is to make sure you understand the greatness of your sin. And when you realize the greatness and magnitude of our sin against a holy God and the greatness and the magnitude of the love of God in Jesus Christ who came and died for our sins, and when we put our faith in Him, all of those wretched, wicked sins are forgiven. They cannot help but instill more love of the Savior who has saved us and forgiven us of our sins. We need to always remember 
That by nature we are children of wrath. We are not good people. We are sinners. And we have all sinned and, and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one way to be saved. To have your sins forgiven. To enter into a personal relationship with God. And that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and paid that penalty for all of our sins. We need to stir up our hearts to love Christ because of His incredible love for us in dying for us. We also need to persevere in repentance. You know, as believers, we still struggle with sin. Every single one of us do. I do. And we need to continue to persevere in repentance that when we, when we do sin, that we're quick to repent of it. Because that's a vital part of our growth in grace. You know, both Peter and Judas sinned against Christ. But who is the believer and who is not? Peter repented. Judas did not. So we need to be sensitive that when we're, our life doesn't reveal that we're loving the Lord or walking with the Lord like it should, we should turn to the Lord and just say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Thank You that You died on the cross for my sins. And give me more grace of Your Spirit so I can grow closer to You. So we need to persevere in the means of grace. Secondly, we need to persevere in being prepared for hard times. Be prepared to stand when others fall. How do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves for hard times? Well, hold your earthly possessions with an open hand. Don't make wealth or health an idol. Thank God for the blessings that we have, but don't covet them. Don't make an idol out of them. Hold all of that with a loose hand. Because it all belongs to God anyway, right? That's our faith. That's what the Bible teaches. Keep worldliness away. Fight against worldliness. And let your heart delight in eternal glory knowing that our trials today are merely preparing more glory for us in the future. Prepare for hard times. Thirdly, persevere in testing yourself. I think this is an important thing that believers should do from time to time is to test ourselves. How do we do that? Paul told the church at Corinth, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Test yourselves. You see Christ in you. Do you see grace in you? See any love for the Lord within you? Is your life showing any evidence that you're born again? Test yourselves. Examine yourself. And if you sense that you're not where you should be, then pray. The Lord will help you. The Lord will come to you. He'll give you grace if you ask Him for it. Call upon the name of the Lord. Peter says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about His calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So be diligent to make certain, to grow in the assurance of your salvation, to know that you're one of God's elect, to know that He has called you into fellowship with Him. Be diligent. And in the previous verses, he described what we're to be diligent in. Knowledge and love and... Things like that. 
But we're to be diligent to grow in our understanding and conviction that we belong to the Lord. And then finally, persevere in fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author of Hebrews that wrestled so much with apostasy within uh, the readers of his letter was very wise in giving them counsel to uh, prevent apostasy from taking place in their hearts. And in chapter 12, he said, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on Christ. Pray to Him often. Read His Word. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. It's His blood, His righteousness that secures our salvation. It's His grace that sustains us. His love that encourages us. His joy that enables contentment. All that we need in the Christian life is found in Christ. If you have Christ, you have it all. I remember a story of a rich man who had a a son whom he loved with all of his heart. And his son died while a young man. But before he passed away, his father had a portrait painted of him, of his son. He hung it in his parlor and it just continued to bring sweet memories of his love for his son. Well, a day came when the rich man died and he was a very wealthy, wealthy man. And uh, in his will, he said that there would be an auction of all of his priceless art, his jewelry, his gems, his properties, his exquisite furniture, treasures of, of every kind. And on the day of the auction, a large crowd showed up, people greedy to hopefully be able to buy something very, very expensive, cheap. And as they started the auction, the auctioneer pulled out this portrait of this man's son. The son was not a particularly handsome, attractive man, but it was a good likeness of his on this portrait. And he set it up on the counter and he says, the auction will begin. He'll give me $5,000 for this portrait. Well, none of the people who showed up had any interest in the son. They were interested in all the property and all the treasures that the man had. No one wanted the picture of the son. But the butler was there. The butler who had loved his master and loved his son. And that portrait just lit up his eyes. It brought up all the memories of living in the family and the times he spent with the son and how good his master was to him. And he raised up his hand and he said, Sir, I have no money to buy the picture, but please let me have the portrait. And all the other people there for the auction said, yeah, give it to him so we can get on with the real auction. Let him have it. Let him take it away. And they gave him the son. Picture of the son. 
And then to the shock and amaze and anger of everyone there, the auctioneer stood up and said, the auction is now closed. And everyone said, well, how can you do that? We hadn't even started the auction. And he pulled out the will of the rich man. And he said, according to the will, he has written that he who has the Son has it all. Everything else goes to the butler because He alone has the Son. See, this is what we need to remember. This is what will keep our heart close to Jesus Christ to keep us following Him to realize that He who has the Son has it all. And He who does not have the Son loses it all. He has nothing. So the temptation of apostasy is real today. It will only get worse as we move closer to the time of Christ's return. But if you and I want to walk the walk and maintain our Christian faith and live a life that brings Him glory, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Because everything we need, He will provide. Well, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for these very sobering words from the Apostle Paul of a end-time apostasy. But as Paul has taught in his other letters, that apostasy is with the church throughout every generation. And oh God, by Your mercy and grace, keep us, keep Your church, keep Your children, Lord, that none wander away. And we know that You've promised that You will do that. But Lord, there's some who think they're believers, but they're not. Who think they're in the fold, but they're outside the fold. And they're the ones we're concerned with the most. But Lord, we just pray that the Spirit of God would open their hearts to see the glory of Jesus Christ, that they might truly come to faith in Him, and that their life would show it, that they would grow in the certainty of, their, of God choosing and, and calling them. And so Lord, as we all are in this battle to persevere in grace and faith, we need Your grace. And so Lord, just help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith, that we might live a life that brings Him glory and gives Him joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.